It's a homie Rodrigo. I'm back. That's right, man, for another installment of the Yeah Man podcast. Coming to you live from the MS Studios in the wonderful city of Riverside, California, where the men are made. That's right. Like I said, you know what I'm saying? Where the men are made. I have to have the windows open today, man. It's a little hot in here. It's getting hot in here. Yeah, man. <laughs> but you can probably hear all the. Uh, the cars going by and all that shit, man. Yeah, man. It's like NASCAR up in here. That's what I'm talking about, Bill Joe Bray Bob, man. We're going to come on, Steve. You're coming back around again. Back to the lecture rat hand. That's right, man. Yo, first and foremost, I want to say uh, thank you very much for all the people that came up and said what's up and took a picture at the uh, shows that I opened up for. Uh, for Felipe Esparza, out there in El Paso. That's right, man. We had fun. It was badass. Mr. Larry Bubbles Brown was in the house. Yeah, that's right. The legendary uh, Bay Area comedian. You know what I'm saying? Originally from Ohio. Ooh, that's right, everybody. He was an Ohio player. And uh, he moved out t- to the West with his folks back in the day. And started doing comedy, man. We uh, had him as a guest on the Yeah Man podcast. Uh, it was actually a Skycast. We did it on the airplane. Through an iPhone, yes, 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 beautiful podcast. So, uh, shout out to Larry Bubbles Brown, and uh, yeah, man, he has a beautiful story. Uh, I think we, we didn't even scratch the surface with him, as with all I guess, we're barely sorting out. Yes, we got to get him back soon, and uh, yeah, man, he um was on the David uh Letterman uh show, and he is one of the comics that was um, he had the longest gap in between um sets, stand up sets on the uh. On the show with um, Mr. Uh, David Letterman. David Letterman. Or David Letterperson. Or whatever it is you want to say to that man. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, he was in the house. Martin Rizzo. That's right. The killer from East L.A. That's right. Looking for his next victim. Well, not really anymore, man. He's all hugged up. He has his lady. This is the one, man. So, uh, yeah, man. There was no victims. Just, uh. Yeah, hanging out, man, and uh, doing our comedy, and uh, special thanks, uh, special thanks to uh, Mr. Felipe Esparza for having myself and uh, the other gentleman on the show, and yeah, man, it was uh, pretty awesome, man, so uh, it, was, and it was just crazy, because when you go on the road and do those uh, those uh, turnaround gigs, you take off on a Friday morning, you do a show on a Friday afternoon, or Friday evening, we get in there, and uh, we uh, do those shows, and we hop on the plane the next morning, and we do... Uh, the other shows yeah we had two shows in san antonio and uh i want to uh backpedal a little bit backpedal i don't know if that's a correct uh phrase but i want to go back a little bit and uh say that dude dude oh my god man oh my god it was crazy man it was so hot dude 
It was so caliente. Yes, old Mars couldn't have been there if he even tried, if you know what I mean. Yes, the man from King's Road, Stephen Patrick Morris, he would have probably died. Yes, uh, it was ridiculously uh, hot, folks. It was 109, I believe, 108, 109 when we landed. And uh, it's just saying that uh, summer's going to come pretty hard here in Ca California pretty soon, here in SoCal. Uh, and uh, I was really surprised, man, that it was that hot already out there in um, El Paso, man. Yeah, man. It was hot, dog. Did somebody say hot dog? Mm, I'm hungry. Not really. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, man, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty brutal, man, and, uh, yeah, man, it was super hot, so, yeah, uh, shout out to all the folks that came out, uh, uh, the folks that bought a Yeah Man t-shirt, I think one person bought one in El Paso, <laughs> but you, my friend, are the knight in shiny armor, and, uh, yeah, that was at the Plaza Theater in, um, in El Paso, uh, the Bad Decision Store, man, that was awesome, so, yeah, we took off, and we flew in, uh, Pretty much just got something to eat, took a shower, went to the show, and knocked that show out. I went to sleep for a couple of hours, and I didn't even sleep the night uh, before uh, taking off to El Paso. I was so paranoid because I had to get up so early. I got up at like 3.45 in the morning and uh, drove to the Fool's House, and we took uh, a quick flight out of that in uh, the morning, early morning. I think we uh, it was like 6 a.m. or something, 6.30. So, yeah, man, it was crazy, dude. So, you know, we had to do our thing. The show must go on, folks, yes. And, uh, yeah, the next day, it was two shows in uh, San Antonio, uh, Texas, Texas. Home of, yes, Robert Rodriguez, yes, yes, El Mariachi, Desperado, Grindhouse, Shark Boy, and Lava Girl. Yes, the great Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm bringing him up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, he's... Uh, a badass Mexican dude, man. Yeah. So, yeah, it's his home, San Antonio. I mean, obviously, the home of the Spurs. And the original, yeah, man. Yeah, man. And, uh, yeah, San Antonio was crazy, man. Two shows at the Tobin Center. Again, it was myself uh, opening the show. We had uh, Cat Swain, a.k.a. Martin Rizzo. Uh, he did his uh, thing. And then Larry Bubbles Brown. And the fool came in there and uh, tore the roof off the place. Um, and we did that twice in San Antonio. And uh, thank you very much to all the folks that came by and uh, did um, did a, uh, did a, I don't know what. <laughs> they came by and said, what's up? And I uh, took a picture uh, with myself and uh, bought some uh, Yeah Man t-shirts. I think I sold a little handful there. So thank you very much. Also, shout out to Mr. Whiskey John. That's right, big dog. Thank you very much for coming by and taking a picture saying what's up. And all you guys out there in Texas, man, always represent. Um, I love Texas. Texas is just one of those. Uh, it's like a second home, if not a first home. It feels real good there. So thank you so much. And also, um, since we're recapping on the shows, want to let you know what's up with the other shows uh, that are uh, coming out. Uh, that are coming out. We're, uh, where we're going to be at this week. And that is going to be in Orlando, Florida. Yes, yes. Beautiful Orlando. And yeah, man. Home at the Epcot Center, right? Epcot, is that it? What do they have also? Universal Studios out there? Um, so yeah, Orlando Improv this uh, weekend. It's going to be June 28th, uh, Thursday, all the way through uh, July 1st. And that's a Sunday. And you guys can get uh, tickets at um, felipezworld.com or at the theorlando.improv.com. So, yeah, man, it's going to be a cool show or cool shows. Uh, I believe we have one Thursday, the 28th, uh, two Friday, 
two Saturday and one Sunday. Total of five shows with myself, uh, Mr. Toby Hicks. Y'all was good. Yeah, that's right. It's Omaha's finest right here. And uh, he's going to be in the house, Mr. Toby Hicks, uh, of uh, one half of the Dope Dealers podcast, along with Mr. Jamal Doman. Again, that's the podcast he belongs to. And uh, so Mr. Toby Hicks and also uh, the uh, star of the show, Mr. Uh, Felipe Esparza. So, yeah, man, this uh, uh, June 28th through uh, July 1st, we're going to be out in uh, Florida. And it's going to be killer. So please uh, come by the merch booth. Yeah, and uh, say hello, something like that, whatever, you know, hey, uh, doing a Tony, uh, you know. Yeah, I'll do the Nick Cage. Okay, I-, I understand. It's a bit muggy out. I don't have an undershirt, no, I don't. Okay, I'm leaving Las Vegas or Con Air or whatever it is. No, I'm not the star of John Wick. No, I'm not. Sorry. I'm more of a Lord of War uh, type guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. So, yeah. Also, yeah, man. Dude, I, I love that song. And not just because it's my song, but um, I love it, dude. Every time I hear it, dude, especially with my headphones on, it gets better and better. And shout out to Mr. Elvis Cortez of Left Alone for writing that song for me and uh, recording it for me. And now it's my intro song. So, uh, thank you very much, buddy. And uh, let's not forget, he's also the guitar player of the band Transplants. And he is on tour right now with Street Dogs. So uh, check them out. Um, you can uh, check out Left Alone on Instagram. Uh, follow Mr. Elvis Cortez and Jimmy Jam, the bass player. And uh, check them out on tour right now. I believe they're in Arizona, as a matter of fact. So hope you guys are doing good. I'm doing great. It's uh, starting to get warm. And again, uh, I don't know what time it is here. I think it's like midnight. Um, but I had to put out a podcast. So hey, man. We're doing it. Um, we're doing it. We we are doing it. It's not just me. This is uh, us. Uh, we talking we's here. There's no I and there's no uh, I in the word team. So yeah, um, I wanted to say something about something, but something about something has done been forgotten. One step back and two steps forward, folks. Yes, as uh, old Stephen Patrick Morris he says, the show must go on. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm setting up my little studio here slowly but surely. I haven't got my whole internet thing set up. I gotta wait till next week and uh, be here when uh, they come and set it up. That way you can have uh, lightning fast uh, internet service, uh, not this uh, tethered uh, uh, internet um, from my phone for my little hotspot. I mean, you know what? It's a bit frustrating sometimes. Hella slow, hella slow, bro. But we have to do it that way in this capacity right now because we do not have it. So what I've been doing for the last two weeks, uh, I've been setting it up uh, my little table, my little in-house mini studio so I can come here and drop a podcast when I so desire. And that so desires at least once a week, a solo one. And um, I have a background now. It's changed from the green screen, one that I had originally. I had to get a new stand, which was taller and wider. And now I got these red curtains, which I like way better. And the only thing I got to work on now is to get some type of ceiling fan that's super, super quiet and better lighting in here. And uh, yeah, man, so I want to do uh, the uh, podcast live on uh, YouTube or uh, Ustream. I don't know uh, which uh, one I can do yet, but nevertheless, something that you guys can also peek at uh, for all you uh, uh, content uh, listeners. (laughs) 
But yeah, man. Oh yeah, that's what it was. The haircut. Yes, 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 yes. A man is not a man without a great cut. No. No, 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 no. Un hombre no es un hombre si no tiene un buen pelo cortado. And that impression there is uh, from a uh, fellow Zacatecano. Uh, we're just gonna call him La Bolita. Um, it's pretty much one of my father's, uh, one of my father's, one of my dad's contemporaries around that age. So you know, mid '60s to pushing '70s uh, type of old school Mexican dude from Zacatecas. They came here back in the day, if not the late '60s, the early '70s. Yeah, man. Uh, he's out there in Boyle Heights and stuff. Yeah, even for Laco Garacha Pest Control, we were working for them, or I was working for uh, Mondo, uh, which Mondo still services his apartments out there. He uh, he says, ¿Dónde está el muchacho? <laughs> sí, sí, sí. Tengo muchos problemas. Uh, he's real cool, and he still gets uh, service. So, yeah, man, shout out to La Bolita. If anybody knows of him, um, yeah, man. Very cool uh, dude. Into into uh, horses and all that stuff, man. Like real charro stuff. Not like, you know, everybody. It's funny. You know, stuff gets popular. People want to be all like, you know, up on the tips. And, you know, I did it first and this and that. But this is an old school dude. Um, I remember being at the Pico uh, Rivera Sports Arena uh, back probably about, ugh, I want to say, four years ago. Well, both of my uncles were in town. And one of them was here uh, pretty much cross-campaigning over here in the States. And um, I remember looking at this shiny horse, and I was like, damn, what kind of horse is that, man? ¿Qué tipo de, de caballo es ese? Se ve bonito. No, 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 muchacho, ese es un palomino. <laughs> so he really talks with this, like, quick, like, uh, want, like almost like a wind-up uh, type of uh, accent, dude. But really, a really cool guy, man. And I had a bomb little, uh, little uh, what do they call those things that uh, the, the people in the Caribbean wear, like Cubans? What are they called? Oh my god! Oh my god! What are those called? Guayaveras, dude. He had a he had a brown one, but it was out of uh, made out of some type of uh, material that was kind of shiny, kind of like el palomino. You know what I mean? So yeah, man. Shout out to uh, el bolita, man. Yeah, man. Yes, yes, yes. And also, I gotta plug my uncle that I mentioned him. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys uh, have any folks in uh, Zacatecas, Mexico, and uh, that's Zacatecas. Being uh, the municipality in municipio de Valparaíso, uh, Jorge Torres Mercado, my uh, uncle's running for uh, um, municipal president, and uh, the elections are July first this Sunday. So, uh, if any of you Zacatecanos, Zacatecanos are out there, y le pueden echar la mano, if you guys can give him a vote or call a relative and tell him to. You know, mark an X over his name. That'll be uh, more than appreciated. Um, and uh, please uh, give him a little vote, uh, Mr. Uh, Jorge Torres Mercado. All right, back to the lecture at hand. We're moving, moving, moving forward. Yeah, man. So, uh, yeah, San Antonio, I was going to say about uh, the haircut. Oh, man, I truly needed a haircut, man. I was all mechon, man. I was like, you know, hair all bugged out. Because when my hair grows out, it gets all spongy and all big, kind of like, you know, like a little bush. And I was get quite bushy, and it's hot, too. So, you know, that kind of sucks. So I had to get a haircut. And it's a trip because uh, when we got to San Antonio, I had way more than a couple hours of kill. So I went, um, I counted in the merchandise, I did that, I did sound check, boom, you got an hour and 45 minutes before you got to come back to the venue and get ready and do the show, you know? So I had an hour and 45 minutes, so I start yelping, I start looking up on uh, my little Google Maps uh, uh, for barbershops, salons, not really hair salons, but you know, hair salons, 
if there wasn't any barbershops. I found three barbershops, and it was a trip, man. Every haircut cost like 35 bucks in San Antonio, Texas. I'm blown away. I don't know if it was a Saturday. I don't know if it was a special haircut day or like the Davy Crockett and buy one, get one free haircut. I don't know what it was, but it was 35 bucks. And uh, I went to the one place, 35 bucks. I was like, dude, I can't pay 35 bucks for a haircut. Come on, man. Not to be a dick, dude, but hey, baby flavor ain't making that type of chatter these days. You know what I'm saying? I stretch a dollar farther than manifest destiny. And I went to another place and I called and it was uh, 25 bucks. They said, I was like, you know what? I can shake it, dude. Let's do it. You know? So I go out there and it was at the mall in San Antonio and uh yeah man 25 and he says it'll be an extra five if he actually snips the top i'm gonna listen man i don't need to slip the snip the top i just want it like faded like one and a half um to a two tapered in the back leave the sideburns exactly where they are and let's move on with our business both parties you get paid i'm satisfied and i move on with my life so i go in there i tell the guy that whatnot and yeah oh we have an opening you know we didn't have an opening they're already trying to you know act like you know it's like come on man you got like four barbers right there one's over there scratching his nuts and uh i'm sitting here and nobody else is sitting here come on man let's sit me down so uh, they sit me down i get a haircut i'm getting a haircut and you know when um you're getting a haircut or somebody's doing a service and they tell you how good they are like they con they're constantly tell you, hey bro, I've been cutting hair for this long. I'm from right, I'm from the shy. Yeah, bro, I used to cut like dude, I used to cut dudes from the bull's hair. You know what I mean? The Blackhawks, and they'll sit there and go, alright, motherfucker, just don't fuck up my shit. And I gave the dude the benefit of the doubt. Um, he's cutting my hair and whatnot. And uh, dude, I just didn't have time to talk shit. I didn't have time to get in an argument. Uh, but I noticed that you know he kind of fucked up the left hand side of it. Uh, and I don't think he was trying to shoot for like, you know, you do the, you come it to the side and then you got that little, the bang going over the shape part of your head. It's like, dude, I told you exactly what I wanted. So, you know, I, I still gave him a $5 tip. I still gave this fool a $5 tip. And then like a little broad, he went over there. Are you making fun of girls now? No, just broads. Um, <laughs> can't even say that word no more, huh? The PC police is going to come through the wire right now and arrest me. So he goes over there and he tells him, hey, yeah, you got to add five because I snipped the top. I just did one snip, but I mean, it still counts, right? He's all, oh, yeah, 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 it's 30 now. It's like, all right, dude, whatever, dude. Here, I was about to give him 40 so he can be quiet. So I gave him the five bucks uh, tip, um, 30 for the haircut, went out of the 35. And, dude, you know, I made it work on my end because I kind of, you know, deuced up my hair a little bit after I got out of the shower and fixed it as much as I can. Um and, dude, I was totally unsatisfied, dude. And I'm not one of those dudes going to be like, you know, I'm like, I want to speak to the manager. I'm like, I'm going to go to Yelp and give him a piece of my mind. I was like, whatever, bro. But the worst of all was, like, I get a text because you had to, you know, put your phone number in, you know, for the appointment. Even though I made the appointment when I was in there, so I wasn't going to go anywhere. But, you know, whatever. And they told me, rate your haircut and would you come back here again? I just deleted that shit. Dude, I will never go back in there. I will never say anything except for what I'm saying on this podcast, but that haircut sucked. But whatever, bro. You know what I'm saying? I got jacked. You hustled. And we move on with both of our lives. And, yeah, it's in the uh, mall right there in San Antonio. Right there. Uh, close to the river. Walk close to the uh, Alamo. Yes, yes. Right there with Davy Dave Crockett took a shit right there in that little mission there. Yes, man. Okay, so, yeah, man, that's all I got to say about that, dude. So, yeah, I was kind of bummed, but whatever. It worked out in the end, and uh, the show must go on. Yes, 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 and it did. So, yeah, man, 
Oh, dude. Okay, what else is happening? Today, yes, I went to the Dodger game today. And I messed up, guys. I messed up, man. I messed up. I waited last minute. I waited last minute to go to the Dodger game. I uh, didn't get tickets through uh, StubHub or uh, through MLB.com because I thought they were too expensive. So what I did was, is what I always do, is I went to Craigslist and all the times beforehand I met the person in person uh, and I got my tickets. I paid for them and they worked, you know, never had an issue with them, whatnot, whatever. So today, uh, getting closer to game time, it was like, you know, 2.30 and I find these tickets on a Craigslist and I, uh, you know, hit them up. Then we start, you know, going back and forth through text and uh, we buy the tickets. I purchase the tickets and over, um, it was through, it wasn't my app, it was my niece's app on, uh, it was, uh, what, Zelly, but paid through with the B of A app app so that's probably going to be the only uh silver lining here and um so we paid for it no tickets gave him two email addresses no tickets he's all they're on the way bro no tickets um so yeah man i got jacked for 150 bucks man yeah man <laughs> gonna be field seats and that that was probably like a little red flag but i didn't notice it i got greedy i guess uh, 75 bucks for field level tickets and yeah man still haven't received them uh, didn't receive them, so uh, we reported it to uh, the Bank of America. They're going to do a review. Hopefully, in ten days, we'll get an answer. No longer than forty-five days. Also, um, what was kind of crazy is uh, the first time I tried to attempt to do it, I did it through my credit union, and I couldn't get that Zelle uh, app. And uh, he actually sent the money back the first time. And it was funny because I was talking to my niece after. She's all, "He probably sent the money back. That way, you can trust him for the next one." But yeah, I was going to call him, but then I talked to you. Let's do it through your. Um, I'll give you the money. You deposit it, and then you pay for it that way. So either way, we got jacked, we messed up, whatever. So we are going to report it, and I'm thinking about uh, reporting it to the Riverside Police Department. Let's see what happens. I don't know if I will. Uh, my whole thing is just waiting on the result of getting that buck fifty back from B of A, if it is so insured by FDIC. So yeah, man, I feel kind of dumb. I feel kind of retarded. It's one of those things where I didn't want to tell anybody, but you know, these are one of those uh, places, uh, one of these platforms where you do uh, get honest and you tell people, and uh, hopefully. Uh, uh, there's a there's a review and it comes out in our favor uh, that we were online that the other person on the other side of the, didn't um, do their part of the bargain. Uh, so, yeah, man, that's what I'm hoping. But I'm also hoping, you know what, dude, let's just report it. Um, I have them on text messages. We have the name and we have the account that we sent it to on uh, Bank of America. And yeah, man, report it to RPD. Hopefully they can do something. It's one of those things too. It's just 150 bucks. So they, who cares? They got bigger fish to fry, but at the same time, in the name of justice, um, if we, you know, give them the clear cut case with all the, uh, screenshots from the text messages and all the bank info, hopefully they can nail this guy, uh, and whatever his punishment is, or those people, if it's a network, whatever it is, they can catch them that way. They don't do it to anybody else. And I don't think you should do that to people. I would never do that to people, but like uh, my mom always says, don't worry. Human beings will never cease to surprise you. They will always surprise you. And this is one of those uh, one of those uh, uh, things where you do it in good faith, and um, it comes back to bite you in the butt. <clears throat> Excuse me. Moment of silence, man. So yeah, it sucks, man. You lose out on uh, 150 bucks. Whether it's five bucks, you know, you feel like. Ugh. So, yeah, man, uh, you know, try to do good, man. That's all you can do. Uh, do the best. 
not necessarily to be the best, but just to be a good person, you know, and uh, treat others how you would like to be treated. And obviously, I didn't get treated that way, so you know, I'm a bit sour. But nevertheless, regardless of that sourness, I learned a lesson never again. And it gets better, ladies and gentlemen. It gets better because I was just like, you know what, dude? I don't give a shit. I'm going to go to the game. I want to go to the game. I watched the game on TV the night before. Dodgers won 2-1. Uh, Kiki's going to have, Hernandez is going to have his uh, little bobblehead. So I want to get a bobblehead. Haven't got a bobblehead in a long time. I mean, it's been a couple of years now. And I'm going, dude. I'm going to take my niece. She's excited. Never been to a Dodger game. Uh, she wants to go. I said, you know what, dude? I'm not going to let this phase us. Let's take off. Let's just go. And we'll go to the Dodger game. And on the way there, we'll look for more tickets on Craigslist. Like a bunch of mooks. So we find a couple, man. And, uh, yeah, there was the same thing. You know, send the money and then we'll send you the tickets. But I, my niece on this one, you know, I guess uh, she was a little bit more uh, aware going you know what no way man send me uh she was telling the people uh, through text send me a screenshot of the tickets you got right now and uh one guy sent a shoddy little picture uh looked very suspect of a screenshot with a couple things like you know like uh erased out and stuff and we're still like nah whatever you know what screw that let's wait in line let's see if there's some scalpers we go over there we didn't find any scalpers then we found this other dude that had like 400 dollar tickets for sale for 200 dollars. he was at the stadium i messed up and was communicating with him through email when he had a phone number there and i should have and we finally hit him up with the phone number only to say that he already sold the tickets we're kind of bummed out so we finally get this dude with a uh i believe the um uh, area code that he was using was from uh, Atlanta. That one uh, weird little uh, screenshot that was very shady he sent to us was from Portland, Oregon. Had a Portland, Oregon address. So my niece was, you know what? We ain't gonna do business with you unless you send us the tickets first. They work. We'll, we'll uh, PayPal you the money. He's all, I can't do that. 20 minutes later, he's all, I can do that. We were thinking he didn't sell the tickets. We have a chance. Let's get them and do it um, in the method that uh, she proposed to him. And or offered him and he went through and sent the tickets and we're like right there. It was probably like we're at seven o'clock six. No, it was about six fifty. So we're in line up there in the load section at Dodger Stadium and we get into the line and we have the two tickets. Her phone was dying. So she sent them to me. I screenshotted them and we went over there and got in line. We get in line. Take off your hats. Take all, everything out of your pockets. Let's go. You know. Have your tickets ready so it can go, line can go by faster. And the lady uh, scans one of the tickets, and it works. I'm like, okay, cool. And I was already, already under the depression. I told my uh, niece, I'm all, hey, listen, if we uh, if these both these tickets work, let's not pay the dude. You know, since I got ripped off with the other one. She's all, dude, you don't even know if you're going to get your money back yet. And pretty sure you are. And secondly, if we get the tickets, we have to pay this guy. I was like, look how beautiful these kids are raised today. Very honest, you know. I was like, already like that little vindictive side came out on me, that little human nature. I don't know if it's human nature, just my nature came back that I got to get something for something. And I was like, dude, she's right. So anyhow, so she swipes the other ticket. She uh, scans it and doesn't do anything. And she scans it again and it says blocked. And then she scans it again and it says blocked. She's like, all right, um, you guys got to go to guest services. They're going to be able to help you out with this um, unless you just want to go in by yourself. And she's like, I don't want to go in by myself. She's, and then I was like, thought real quick, I'm on, hey, how about she can, could she just um, get a bobblehead? Could she just get across and get her bobblehead? Because this one worked at least before we go to guest services. And the lady was cool. She saw, you know what? Go, right, go ahead, get your bobblehead, and then go up to guest services and see what they can do for you. You know, I think there might 
be something wrong with this ticket that they can fix. So we got to go to guest services, and by the time we get to the window in guest services, it's time for Dodger baseball. It's like, damn, it's already 7-12. The game already started. And there was this big guy right there. Big guy, big Irish guy. You know, look like guy from Tammany Hall, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying? Look like Tip O'Neill. If you guys don't know anything about Tammany Hall or Tip O'Neill, look it up. Yeah, it's just a very interesting East Coast politics. And Tip O'Neill is one of the senators that uh, helped bring down uh, Watergate. So, yeah, check that out. So, he looked like that, you know. Uh, that's all I can say. <laughs> big old John Madden looking dude. And he looks at him. He's like, I don't know. I think there's going to be some fraud with this. And hang on. Let me check these tickets out. And he grabs them and goes over there, looks on his computer or whatever, and comes back. Yes, those tickets were bought with a fraudulent credit card. So that's not going to work. And I thought he was going to give him the little puppy dog eyes going, kind of like Gracie Armijo. <laughs> and go, you know, like kind of gave him the little eyes going, but you think you can like walk us in since we got ripped off? <laughs> and but he didn't say anything. He's all maybe next time don't don't be buying tickets off Craigslist. You know, there's a lot of fraud going on there. You know, it's not a good idea. And it was all <laughs> damn, dude, damn. So we didn't pay the guy because it didn't work, and uh, he stopped bugging on the phone. And yeah, man. So that's where we're at, man. Didn't get to see the game, but you know. Whatever. So we got back in the truck. I headed down to the OC. OC life is not the life for me. Shout out to DR. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Casey Royer in the gang. And uh, we met up with my lady. We met up with uh, the little shorty. And we had dinner. And we gave him the little bobblehead. He was happy. And the rest is history. So, you know, hopefully we can get this issue resolved. And uh, we can be, you know, fully... Um, compensated obviously not with our time but with uh, our economic uh, loss there yeah man so yeah man that's what's up man and uh yeah what what else is going on hope you guys are doing well man seriously dude it's all nothing but love man hope you guys are doing well um everybody out there man um thank you very much for everything and uh yeah let's keep this going but one thing i was going to say is uh, i want to uh Mentioned the fact that, um, yeah, so uh, the Supreme Supreme Court, uh, as an old law professor used to call him, what was his name? What was his name? Uh, Feynman. Gerald Feynman. Yeah, I believe he's still a deputy district attorney with uh, the um, Riverside County District Attorney's Office. He's a specialist in um, domestic abuse. Uh, also, uh, give something similar to TED Talks all over the uh, country on his expertise in uh, that um, uh, area of the law. But he always used to say the Supremes. <laughs> uh, if you guys remember Diana Ross's old uh, group. And yeah, man. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, they upheld uh, Trump's uh, controversial um, travel ban for Muslims. Muslims, Muslims. Um, say it correctly as I try. Um, please forgive me if I did say it incor incorrectly, but I just want to do it properly, you know, just out of respect um, for a human coin, right? And uh, yeah, man, so they upheld that. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a sad day. Um, it's weird because uh, even with Brexit and uh, what was happening, uh, what been happening in uh, Europe, even uh, Italy uh, and um, 
obviously England, they've been going on a more uh, nationalist uh, effort, anti-immigrant effort, and uh, it's circling back over here with uh, this administration's point of view, and also um, what's what's going on right now with the uh, migrant situation here at the border states um, in uh, um, America, the United States of America. And I wanted to mention that uh, what's beautiful um, about this is that uh, not all of them are from Mexico. A lot of them are from Guatemala, El Salvador, and they're uh, trying, in essence, or stated by them, some of them, trying to escape, uh, get political asylum, man. And that's uh, the little, the little, um, what they're trying to use to come here as far as like, to seek political asylum because their country's so messed up with violence, as Mexico is that um, they want to come over here to the United States to seek a better life. Uh, that's how shitty your country is, that you are willing to leave everything and just take the clothes on your back and maybe a backpack and a couple bags. And with the, uh, with the audacity, I'm going to steal this from President Obama, the audacity of hope. Uh, the... the uh, Search for a better life, man. That's how messed up it is. You're willing to walk. Uh, some issue, uh, in some uh, some instances, by train, whether um, they hop on it, payment or not, uh, by car, uh, from your uh, country to another country to another country, just because it's that much better. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, man. I don't know how bad it is because I'm not there. I'm not there uh, in their quests to be here, and I'm not there amongst them, so I don't know. Um, I have family in Mexico that don't suffer like that. They have obviously of a different ilk where they can stay there and are successful in that sense. Uh, so I can't um, imagine to feel how it is to be those uh, pretty much, in this case, defenseless uh, migrant folks trying to come to the States to seek a better life. Uh, a lot of people don't agree with it. Now... Um, so hopefully they, uh, they do, uh, prevail. You know what I mean? Uh, they're just going to have to get super craftier because I know a lot of people that came over here, uh, both my parents age and even, uh, younger than them. They came here by a uh, legal means. Uh, they came here through Coyote. They came here by chance. Uh, people helped them out. Um, there was a story about a dude I met in Mexico city, an Uber driver who went back to the, uh, to see his mom in Mexico city. He fell in love and had a kid and could never come back. But this dude, I think he's probably about 37 years old now. And he was telling me a story about, he went there by himself cause he was having problems with his stepdad in Mexico city and his mom didn't really have his back. So he came over here when he was like 17 and he went to Tijuana. He just went there with a little bit of money from Mexico city and he was hanging out at some spot at a bar and he was talking to some dude and that dude and i don't know if i already said said this uh, story on a podcast you know ask him what's up man what's going on with you what do you want to do hey man i know a guy that can help you i can help you and what we're going to do we're going to say you're um, a relative of ours we'll give you uh, an id and you just nod or you act like you're asleep and we'll cross the border he crossed the border that same man got him a job in santa monica with the guy that had a horse ranch and uh he was living pretty good and then he got a job in construction, but all that ended when he went back to Mexico City to visit his mom and he fell in love and he got a girl pregnant. 
he didn't want to leave. He wanted to do the right thing. And now he's out there driving Uber and a couple other uh, odd jobs just to survive. And I think his wife works for the government, man. But, uh, yeah, there is some good people out there, man. But, yeah, even to those old, uh, to the all the ladies out there that are coming with girls that are by themselves, I mean, they're just subject to a bunch of other stuff, man. Like, you know, dude, who knows, all types of crime. I have a buddy that works for ICE who's actually a Mexican national. Well, not anymore. He's an American citizen born in Tijuana hustler used to drive uh, cabs when he was like 13 12 13 14 years old started uh, working as an investigator then worked for uh uh what is it border inspections what is it what's a what's it border uh no it's border dang i forgot what it's called before it was called uh, the department of homeland um security was like border inspection damn dude i'm drawing a blank here um but he uh, he got a job at the uh, Department of uh, um, I'm over here stumped now, dude. Border. Let me see if I can look it up. Border Patrol. No, U.S. Customs and Border Enforcement. That that was a U.S. Customs and Border Enforcement, and was that in the United States Border Patrol? I think we're part of this uh, the same or the American Federal Law Enforcement Agency. Uh, at the border and then after um 9-11 it got uh switched up all under the umbrella of uh the department of homeland security which houses ice and border patrol now he's an ice agent uh, he's been an ice agent i met him in law school uh he was an ice agent for probably now he's going on about 10 years and uh, he says he's seen some terrible stuff man like bad stuff and we're going back to like 2008 where he was in Nogales in the desert in Nogales, man, working. And uh, he's like, um, he uh, he just ran up on some um, some uh, migrants who said they were walking in the desert, dude. They were walking because the people, the coyotes, it took them. A lot of them, uh, you know, now ran by like cartels and stuff, um, took them. And then after they got their money and they said that after they crossed the border, they took their shoes just to make it that much harder on them. And he's all, he's all, he, he had people that he got that didn't even have skin on the bottom of their feet where it was just pretty much almost just bone, dude. And he said he just had to be in a, after he's pulled a little 12 hour shift, he'll go to the hotel room, take a shower and then wrap his head around with a cold, um, wet towel just cause he just try to get all that stuff out of his head. It's that bad, you know, and he's a dude that has children, dude that had a wife. So, uh, and him being from uh, Tijuana. Hopefully one day I can have him on the podcast. Um, I don't know if it'll be under his name or whatnot, just because I don't know if they can talk about that stuff. But uh, nevertheless, man, yeah, it's uh, some uh, very dark stuff, man. And uh, again, dude, I say that uh, a lot of those countries got to you know fix their issues. That way people don't cross the border over there in um, Latin America. You really have a enormous disparity. There's really not no uh, any middle class. There's starting to be an emerging one, but uh, very small percentage of the population it's pretty much there is the haves and the haves not man and uh out there uh broke people who don't really hang out with richer people you know it's not like here like everybody knows a rich guy in the states you know so i'm talking about this uh uh the two points uh the first one because uh, i posted a a meme on uh instagram and uh it was funny it's a funny meme but by two uh folks it got misunderstood and they kind of gave me some backlash and talk crap uh but basically the meme is uh the one from time magazine of the little girl crying but this one they um took off um 
the president and they put one of uh, Hulk Hogan in midair like he's going to do the Hulk slam or Hulk smash on the little girl and uh, and I hashtag this is America the Hulk smash and uh, it's not me doing that to the kids it's not it's not I I didn't set the policy forth um, and uh, the majority I would say 99.9.9% thought it was a joke got the joke it was hilarious Again, we have to make, uh, I don't think we, we have to make light of it. I mean, I'm not going to be somebody that's going to pander and say this and that for them, you know, that I'm for immigrant, migrant rights, whether, and then I'm not turning around to help them. I'm trying to, you know, um, I see a lot of celebrities that post those memes that we have to help them, this and that. And uh, it's so terrible. I can't sleep at night. Really? You got a mansion with 20 rooms. Why don't you open up 18 of those rooms to 18 migrant families? You know what I'm saying? Really put your uh, your heart where your money is. But a lot of them won't do it. A lot of them will just like give to organizations, raise money, whatever. It's not their problems. They keep on acting. They keep on making their millions and that's it, man. Me, I can't really do anything. I don't have any resources. Only thing I can do is um, donate a little bit of money. Um, and hopefully it's to a cause it's, uh, that the money gets there. Not to non a nonprofit that has a CEO that's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and other executives. You know what I mean? Because to me, a nonprofit is really not a nonprofit when people are getting paid. So um, it kind of bummed me out that uh, two dudes or, you know, whatever they were, kind of chalked crap and said that this ain't funny, F you puto. And it's like, uh, no, it is funny. And it's sad. And it's sad that you don't even get the joke. And um, he's all, well, uh, um, and obviously I don't know the tone, but I'm sure some dude that, you know, misunderstood it, but was saying something to the fact that I wish that was your fucking kid in K in a cage. First and foremost, I don't have any children. Uh, um, I don't. Uh, and secondly, I just replied to him, Hey man, I wish nothing but the best to you and your family. And there was another guy who goes, this ain't funny. I'm unfollowing you. And I just gave him the peace sign. Peace. And then he uh, said something else, and then I was going to be like, hey, dog, I thought you left. So um, it's uh, my whole thing is, like, dude, I'm a comedian, first and foremost. But I'm also the son of immigrants. You know what I mean? Uh, so, hey, man, I feel for those folks, dude. But uh, I'm not an attorney right now. I can't give free uh, pro bono uh, um, legal help or advice. I know a lot of people that are uh, attorneys and ain't going to do anything for free. Uh, and I haven't really talked to any of my uh, friends. I have one friend that I know that is, uh, she's doing a little bit of immigration law. And there's a lot of uh, immigration attorneys. There's a lot of uh, people that have Latino services that charge people thousands of dollars for something they can do for free. Um, one thing, I have helped people fill out their papers for free. And um, uh, with the help of my friend Shimon that works for the government and that says that you can't be lying on those forms and you have to fill them out to the T. Uh, dot your eyes and cross your teeth. So I have helped in that sense. Um, but none of those people have been in any of the circumstances they are today. Just folks have been here for a handful of years and haven't done any crimes, have, uh, and just want to become uh, legal citizens. And it's funny, I never even, I was talking to my folks over two weekends ago, and once you become an American citizen and you were a citizen of Mexico, you pretty much uh, abandon your your uh, your uh, your Mexican citizenship. You are no longer a Mexican citizen, you're an American citizen. Ain't that a bitch? So no duality in citizenships. You are now an American citizen. So the second point um, I wanted to, um, uh, one, one of the reasons I brought up the, um, the, uh, 
the migrant um you can say it's a crisis an issue um is because uh there's a beautiful uh a judge here in california in the uh, wonderful state of california that uh that busted out an injunction um um against the uh, the migrant um the treatment of migrants um that uh they have to be uh that the uh any children under the age of five has to be with their uh with their parents and uh any of the uh, children uh under the age of 10 has to speak with their folks with their parents um uh within 10 days and uh the uh unification uh um uh process has to happen within a certain amount of time uh now that um, it's a united states district judge uh, by the name uh, the honorable uh, dana m sabra and uh folks in the end if we're going to do anything to buck the system or anything to um not necessarily buck the system but to make a change to bring changes to um affect and to um uphold the law and to shoot strike down bad law we have to do it with the law that's it um protesting and marching does brings up a light um posting stuff on the internet that brings some light to it but the fight is in the courtroom folks when you get arrested you don't have to really worry about the cops I mean, they're going to arrest you. They're going to file a report. But the one you have to worry, worry about is the district attorney's office. They're the ones that are going to file. They're the ones that are going to give weight to that police report, whether to file charges against you or not. So it's a legal fight. So, man, if you guys really want to do anything, it's it's a trip, man. I dropped out of law school, man. Um, it was very difficult among a lot of you guys. Super difficult for me. Um, I got through the first year. I was overwhelmed, dude. Um, I was working pest control. I was doing stand-up, traveling, opening up for uh, The Fool. I was uh, doing law school. I wasn't sleeping. And I had to make a decision whether I'm going to be doing comedy or um, proceed with law school. I kind of feel like um, I let myself down. I let, I, left, I let my community down. Let my community down. I let my, let my folks down. I let my family down in order to do stand-up. Um, and again... And I'm not pitching here. It's not that I'm making uh, thousands and thousands of dollars. That's not the point here. Um, it was it. It was uh, it was it was just too much. It was too much, man. Um, you know, just like anxiety, anxiety to the core, sleepless nights, heart pounding, head pounding. So I really have to make a choice in these next couple of years, maybe in this next year, of what I'm going to be doing. I mean, I have to outweigh it, or if I can do both. I mean, obviously, I can't do pest control in comedy and. Uh, and uh, go to law school but hopefully i can balance out law school and um comedy if that if it helps um the other thing is the the monetary effect i um obviously didn't get any scholarships or nothing like that uh and uh you know nothing is free in this uh, world excuse me so it really hurts me sometimes i can't do anything more uh so yeah man um so uh this uh this uh this was an order granting plaintiffs a motion for a class-wide preliminary injunction so uh against the u.s um immigrations and customs enforcement ice in a united states district court of southern united states district court in southern district of california so um i'm going to read this to you hopefully it makes sense to you and if it doesn't 
Um, hopefully it makes sense to me. But I just want to bring light to it uh, that uh, the judiciary is still still alive. We have uh, the executive branch, the judicial branch, and the legislative branch. And even though the uh, Muslim ban was upheld today by the Supreme Court, and I believe it's uh, Justice Roberts that brought down the uh, decision, we have uh, a little silver lining here. Uh, we have a little bit of silver silver lining, meaning that um, that uh, at least a um, in case you missed it, and I'm using uh, the author's words of this that actually wrote the piece, where um, I'm extracting these uh, the the injunction that the only branch I still have faith in, quote. The judiciary, the, judi the judiciary, to the to the rescue, uh, and um, that's brought forth by uh, someone I follow on Twitter, who I have uh, tremendous uh, respect for, and that's Ruben Navarrete Jr. Uh, he's uh, probably the one of the most, uh, even though all journalists should be this way, one of the most honest journalists. Uh, he is both not of the right or the left. He just states facts and uh, states the truth and. Um, and very provocative with his words. And you can uh, follow him on Twitter. He's And he also had a podcast. I think he had like, uh, I want to say like 30, 40 episodes. And uh, it's called Navarrete Nation. Uh, those are still available on iTunes, I believe. And uh, the title of uh, his piece, well, the piece he retreed, retweeted, it's actually by uh, Michael D. Shear, Julia Hirschfield Davis, Thomas Kaplan, and um, Robert Pear. And uh, the title is uh, Federal Judge in California Halts Splitting of Migrant Families at Border. And uh, this is brought down June 26, 2018 from Washington. Um, and it was an article in the New York Times that uh, Mr. Neverett uh, retweeted. So I'm going um, um, to read, uh, read uh, uh, what the judge had to say. And it's all legal speak, of course, but hopefully it makes sense, at least a little bit of sense. And just to get it out there, and uh, so you folks could be aware, it's not always about the hee hees and the ha ha's. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's Miss L. at all, the petitioner, the plaintiff against uh, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement ICE at all, which are the defendants. So it goes as follows, and I'm quoting here: Eleven weeks ago, plaintiffs leveled the serious accusation that our government government capitalized, was engaged in a widespread practice of separating migrant families and placing minor children who were separated from their parents in government facilities for unaccompanied minors. According to plaintiffs, the practice was applied indiscriminately and separated even those families with small children and infants. Many of whom were seeking asylum that's uh, finish of the sentence. Uh, I apologize for my uh, my uh, my uh, reading off here, but I'm going to do it um, off the cuff. And uh, as I read this, it's new to me as it is new to you. Plaintiffs noted reports that the practice would become national policy. Recent events confirm these allegations. Extraordinary re relief is requested and is warranted under the circumstances. On May 7, 2018, the Attorney General of the United States announced a zero-tolerance policy under which all adults entering the United States illegally would be subject to criminal prosecution. And if accompanied by a minor child, the child would be 
separated from the parent. Over the ensuing weeks, hundreds of migrant children were separated from their parents, sparking international condemnation of the practice. Six days ago, on June 20th, 2018, the President of the United States signed an executive order, quote, EO, to address the situation and to require preservation of the family unit by keeping migrant families together during criminal and immigration proceedings to the extent permitted by law, while also maintaining rigorous enforcement of immigration laws. See Executive Order Affording Congress an, op- an Opportunity to Address Family Separations. Um, that's what they're citing. That's June 20th, 2018. So the executive order did not address reunification of the burgeoning population of over 2,000 children separated from their parents, the loophole folks. Public outrage remained at a fever pitch. Three days ago on Saturday, June 23rd, 2018, the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, issued a fact sheet outlining the government's efforts to ensure that those adults who are subject to removal are reunited with their children for the purposes of removal. Plaintiffs assert that the EO executive order does not eliminate the need for the requested injunction and the fact sheet does not address the circumstances of this case. Defendants disagree with those assertions, but there is no genuine dispute that the government was not prepared to accommodate the mass influx of separated children. Measures were not in place to provide for the communication between governmental agencies responsible for detaining parents and those responsible for housing children, or to provide for ready communication between separated parents and children. There was no reunification plan in place, and families have been separated for months. Some parents were deported at separate times and from different locations and their children. Migrant families that lawfully entered the United States at a port of entry seeking asylum were separated. And families that were separated due to entering the United States illegally between ports of entry have not been reunited following the parents' completion of criminal proceedings and return to immigrant immigration detention. This court previously entered an order finding plaintiffs had stated illegally cognizable claim for violation of their substantive due process rights to family integrity under the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution based on their allegations the government had separated plaintiffs from their minor children while plaintiffs were held in immigration detention and without a showing that they were unfit parents or otherwise presented a danger to their children. See Miss L versus Immigration and Customs Enforcement 302. Uh, F sub 3D 1149 comma 2018 WL 2725736 at asterisk 7-12 that's basically just citing the uh, uh, just citing the where they pulled that uh, that little uh, piece of information a class action has been certified to include similarly situated migrant parents plaintiffs now request class-wide injunctive relief to prohibit separation of class members from their children in the future absent a finding the parent is unfit to present 
presents unfit or presents a danger to the child and to require unification of these families once a parent is returned to immigration custody unless the parent is determined to be unfit or presents a danger to the child. Plaintiffs have demonstrated a likelihood of success on the merits, irreparable harm, and that the balance of equities and the public interests weigh in their favor, thus warranting issuance of a preliminary injunction. This order does not implicate the government's discretionary authority to enforce immigration or other criminal laws, including its decision to release or detain class members. Rather, the order addresses only the circumstances under which the government may separate class members from their children, as well as a reunification of class members who are returned to immigration custody upon completion of any criminal proceedings. One, background. This case started with the filing of a complaint by Miss L, a Catholic citizen of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, fleeing persecution from her home country because of her religious beliefs. The specific facts of Miss L's case are set out in the complaint and this court's June 6, 2018 order on defendant's motions to dismiss. In brief, Miss L and her then six-year-old daughter, S.S., lawfully presented themselves at the San Isidro port of entry seeking asylum based on religious persecution. They were initially detained together, but after a few days, S.S. was forcibly separated from her mother. When S.S. was taken away from her mother, she was in, was screaming and crying, pleading with guards not to take her away from her mother. Immigration officials claimed they had concerns whether Miss L was SS's mother, despite Mrs. L's protestations to the contrary and SS's behavior. So, Miss L was placed in immigration custody and scheduled for expedited removal, thus re rendering SS an unaccompanied minor under the Trafficking Victims Protection and Reauthorization Act, TVPRA. And uh, that's uh, cited December 23rd, 20, uh, 2008, and subjecting her to the care and custody of the Office of Refugee Resettlement, ORR. SS was placed in a facility in Chicago, over a thousand miles away from her mother. Immigration officials later determined Miss L had a credible fear of persecution and placed her in removal proceedings where she could pursue her asylum claim. During this period, Miss L was unable was able to speak with her daughter only approximately six times by phone, never by video. Each time they spoke, SS was crying and scared. Miss L was terrified that she would never see her daughter again. After the present lawsuit was filed, Miss L was released from ICE detention into the community. The court ordered the government to take a DNL, DNA saliva sample or swab, which confirmed that Miss L was the mother of SS. Four days later, Miss L and SS were reunited after being separated for nearly five months. In an amended complaint filed on March 9th, 2018, this case was expanded to include another plaintiff, Miss C. She is a citizen of Brazil, and unlike Miss L, she did not present at a port of entry. Instead, she and her 14-year-old son, Jay, crossed into the United States between ports of entry, after which they were apprehended by U.S. Border Patrol. Miss C. explained that the agent 
to the agent that she and her son were seeking asylum. But the government, as was its right under federal law, charged Miss C with entering the country illegally and placed her in criminal custody. This rendered J an unaccompanied minor, and he, like SS, was transferred to the custody of ORR, which is the Office of Refugee Resettlement where he, too, was housed in a facility in Chicago, several hundred miles away from his mother, Missy, was there after convicted of a misdemeanor illegal entry and served 25 days in criminal custody. After completing that sentence, Missy was transferred to immigration detention for removal proceedings and consideration of her asylum claim, as she, too, had passed a credible fear screening. Despite being returned to immigration custody, Miss C was not reunited with Jay. During the five months she was detained, Miss C did not see her son, and they spoke on the phone only a handful of times. Miss C was desperate to be reunited with her son, worried about him constantly, and did not know when she would be able to see, to see him. Jay had a difficult time emotionally during the period of separation from his mother. Miss C was eventually released from immigration detention on bond. And only recently reunited with Jay. Their separation lasted more than eight months despite the lack of any allegations or evidence that Miss C was in fit or otherwise presented a danger to her son. Miss L and Miss C are not the only migrant parents who have been separated from their children at the border. Hundreds of others who have both lawfully presented at ports of entry, Miss like Miss L, and unlawfully crossed into the border or into the country like Miss C have also been separated. Because this practice is affecting large numbers of large numbers of people, plaintiffs sought certification of a class consisting of similarly situated individuals. The court certified that class with a minor modifications and now turns to the important question of whether plaintiffs are entitled to a class-wide preliminary injunction that, one, halts the separation of class members from their children absent a determination that the parent is unfit or presents a danger to the child, and two, reunites class members who are returned to immigration custody upon completion of any criminal proceedings absent a determination that the parent is unfit or presents a danger to the child. Since the present motion was filed, several important developments occurred, as previously noted. First, on May 7, 2018, the government announced its zero-tolerance policy for all adult persons crossing the border illegally, which resulted in separations of hundreds of children who had crossed with their parents. This is what happened with Miss C, though she crossed prior to the public announcement of the zero-tolerance policy. She is not alone. There are hundreds of similarly situated parents, and there are more than 2,000 children who have now been separated from their parents. When a parent is charged with a criminal offense, the law ordinarily requires separation of the family. This separation generally occurs regardless of whether the parent is charged with a state or federal offense. The repercussions on the children, however, can vary greatly depending on status. For citizens, there is an established system of social service agencies 
ready to provide for the care and well-being of the children, if necessary, including child protective services and the foster care system. This is in addition to any family members that may be available to provide shelter for these minor children. Grandparents and siblings are frequently called upon. Non-citizens may not have this kind of support system, such as other family members who can provide shelter for their children in the event the parent is detained at the border. This results in immigrant children going into custody of the federal government, which is presently not well equipped to handle that important task. For children placed in federal custody, there are two options. One of those options is the ORR, but it was established to address a different problem, namely minor children who were apprehended at the border without their parents, i.e. true unaccompanied alien children. It was not initially designed to address the problem of migrant children detained with their parents at the border and who were thereafter separated from their parents. The second option is family detention facilities, but the options there are limited. Indeed, at the time of oral argument on this motion, government counsel represented to the court that the total capacity in family residential centers was less than 2,700. For male heads of the household, i.e. fathers traveling with their children, there was only one facility with 86 beds. The recently issued EO confirms executive order. The government is inundated by the influx of children essentially orphaned as a result of family separation. The EO now directs heads of executive departments and agencies to make available any facilities appropriate for housing and care of alien families. The EO also calls upon the military by directing the Secretary of Defense to make available any existing facility and to construct such facilities if necessary, which is an extraordinary measure. Meanwhile, tent cities and other makeshift facilities are springing up. That was the situation into which plaintiffs and hundreds of other families that were separated at the border in the past several months were placed. This situation has reached a crisis level. The news media is saturated with stories of immigrant families being separated at the border. People are protesting. Elected officials are weighing in. Congress is threatening action. 17 states have now filed a complaint against the federal government challenging the family separation practice. See the state of Washington versus United States. Case number 18CV0939, United States District Court for the Western District of Washington, and the president has taken action. Specifically, on June 20th, 2018, the president signed an executive order referencing above the executive order, EO, states that the administration's policy to maintain family unity, including by detaining alien families together, were where appropriate and cons- were where appropriate and consistent with law and available resources. In furtherance of that policy, the EO indicates that the parents and children who are apprehended together at the border will be detained together during dependency of any criminal improper entry or immigration proceedings to the extent permitted by law. Three, the language of the EO is not absolute, however, as it states a family unity shall be maintained where appropriate 
and consistent with the law and available resources, and to the extent permitted by law and subject to the availability of appropriations. Three, the EO also indicates rigorous enforcement of illegal border crossers will continue. In quotes, it is a policy of the administration to rigorously enforce our immigration laws. And finally, although the order speaks to a policy of maintaining family unity, it is silent on the issue of reuniting families that have already been separated or will be separated in the future. So I mentioned earlier was a loophole, more like, um, I don't know, not a shade spot, but something that's uh, left out of that executive order. In light of these uh, recent developments, and in particular to the executive order, the court held a telephonic status conference with counsel on June 22, 2018. During that conference, the court inquired about communication between ORR and DHS and ORR and the Department of Justice, DOJ. And we're using these acronyms, folks, just to, like, you know, um, just move along um, as swiftly as possible, including the Bureau of Prisons, BOP, as it relates to the those as it relates to these separated families. Reunification procedures were also discussed specifically whether there was any affirmative reunification procedure for parents and children after parents were returned to immigration detention following completion of criminal proceedings. Government counsel explained the communication procedures that were in place and represented consisted with her earlier representations to the court that there was no procedure in place for the reunification of these families. Basically what the judge is saying, if you're going to be doing an executive order, write an executive order, make it thorough. Excuse me. Uh, make it thorough in what it is you're going to do and to reunify these people, these folks. The day after the status conference, Saturday, June 23rd, DHS issued the fact sheet referenced above. This document focuses on several issues addressed during the status conference, e.g. process for enhanced communication between separated families, separated parents and children, but only for the purposes of removal. It also addresses coordination between and among three agencies, CBP, ICE, and HHS agency, ORR, but again, for the purpose of removal. The fact sheet does not address reunification for other purposes, such as immigration or asylum proceedings, which can take months. It also does not mention other vital agencies frequently involved during criminal proceedings, Department of Justice and BOP. That's the Bureau of Prisons. At the conclusion of the recent status conference, the court requested supplemental briefing from the parties. Those briefs have now been submitted. After thoroughly considering all of the parties' briefs and the record in this case, and after hearing argument from counsel on these important issues, the court grants plaintiffs motion for a class-wide preliminary injunction. Two, discussion. Plaintiffs seek class-wide preliminary relief and, one, enjoins defendants' practice of separating class members from their children absent a determination that the parent is unfit or presents a danger to the child, and two, orders the government to reunite class members with their children when the parent is returned 
to immigration custody after the criminal proceedings conclude, absent a determination that the parent is unfit or presents a danger to the child. Injunctive relief is an extraordinary remedy that may only be awarded upon a clear showing that the plaintiff is entitled to such relief. And uh, I believe they quoted that from Winter. Well, I believe it's right there in front of me. Um, Winter versus Natural Rest Defense Council Incorporated. That's page 55 U.S. 7 to 2008. Uh, I kind of butchered that, but nevertheless, we must move on to meet that. Show, to meet that showing, plaintiffs must, must demonstrate they are likely to succeed on the merits, that they are likely to suffer irreparable harm in the absence of preliminary relief, that the balance of equities tips in their favor, and that the injunction is in the public interest. And let's say it's another case. Am Trucking Associations versus the City of Los Angeles. And that's a Ninth Circuit Court, 2009. Now, uh, moving along, uh, before turning to these factors, the court addresses directly defendant's argument that the injunction is not necessary here in light of the executive order and recently released fact sheet. Although these documents reflect some attempts by the government to address some of the issues in this case, neither ob obviates the need for injunction relief here. As indicated throughout this order, the executive order is subject to various qualifications. For instance, plaintiffs correctly assert that the executive order allows the government to separate a migrant parent from his or her child where there is a concern that the detention of an alien child with the children's alien parent would pose a risk to the child's welfare. Objective standards are necessary, not subjective ones particularly in light of the history of this case. Furthermore, the fact sheet focuses on reunification, reunification at the time of removal. U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Supra, Note 2, stating that the parents slated for removal will be matched up with their child at a location in Texas and then removed. It says nothing about reunification during the intervening time between return and criminal proceedings to ICE detention or the time in ICE detention process prior to actual removal, which can take months. Indeed, it is undisputed. ICE has no plans or procedures to place to reunify the parent with the child other than arranging for them to be deported together after the parent's immigration case is concluded. Thus, neither of these directives eliminates a need for an injunction in this case. With this finding, the court now turns to winter factors. A. Likelihood of success. The first factor under winter is the most important. Likely success on the merits. And that's Garcia versus Google Incorporated 786F.3D 730 Circuit Court 2015. While plaintiffs carry the burden of demonstrating likelihood of success, they are not required to prove their case in full at the preliminary injunction stage, but only such portions that enable them to obtain the injunctive relief they seek. See University of Texas versus Kamen, Sitch, 451 U.S. 390-395-1981. Here, the only claim currently at issue is a plaintiff's 
due process claim. Specifically, plaintiffs contain the government's practice of separating class members from their children and failing to reunite those parents who have been separated without determination that the parent is unfit or presents a danger to the child violates the parent's substantive due process rights to family integrity under the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution. To prevail, to prevail this claim, plaintiffs must show that the government practice shocks the conscience. In order on defendants, in the order on defendants' motions to dismiss, the court found plaintiffs had set forth sufficient facts to support that claim. The evidence submitted since that time supports that finding and demonstrates plaintiffs are likely to succeed on this claim. As, expo as explained in the court's order on defendants' motion to dismiss, the shocks the conscience standard is not subject to a rigid list of established elements. See County of Sacramento versus Lewis. It's a case in 1998. Stating rules of due process are not subject to mechanical application in unfamiliar territory. On the contrary, an investigation into substantive due process involves an appraisal of totality of the circumstances rather than a formalistic examination of fixed elements. Armstrong versus Squadrito, 152 F.3D, 564, 570, 7th Circuit Court. 1998. These are just examples of uh, they're trying to contradict or say the uh, the uh, executive order is not effective and it actually harms them. I mean, you can actually make it out yourself, but I'm just trying to help out a little bit as I read along. Here, each plaintiff presents different circumstances, both but both were subjected to the same governmental government practices of family separation without a determination that the parent wasn't fit or presented a danger to the child. Miss L was separated from her child without a determination she wasn't fit or presented a danger to her child. And Miss C was not reunited with her child despite the absence of any finding that she wasn't fit or presented a danger to her child. Outside the context of this case, namely an international border, plaintiffs would have high likelihood of success on a claim premise on such a practice. Citing cases uh, finding due process violation where state action interfered with rights of fit parents, and that's uh, CDB versus Cardall, 826F.3D, 721-741, Fourth Circuit Court, 2016. F finding uh, removal of children from religious school absent evidence as students were at an immediate risk of child abuse or neglect was violation of clearly established constitutional right. Uh, Brokaw versus Mercer County, 235 F.3D, 1000, comma, 1019, 7th Circuit Court, 2000. Citing Kraft versus Westmoreland County Children and Youth Services, 103 F.3D, 1123, comma, 1126, 3rd Circuit Court, 1997. Courts have recognized that a state has no interest in protecting children from their parents unless it has some definite and articulable evidence giving rise to a reasonable suspicion that a child has been abused or is in imminent danger of abuse. The context of this case is different. The executive branch, which is tasked with enforcement of the country's criminal and immigration laws, is acting within its powers to detain individuals lawfully entering the United States and to apprehend individuals illegally entering the country. However, as the court explained in its order on defendants' motions to dismiss, the right to family integrity still appears here, still applies here. The contents 
the context of the family separation practice at issue here, namely an international border, does not render the practice constitutional, nor does it shield the practice from judicial review. Review, And that's what's happening right now. On the contrary, the context and circumstances in which the practice of family separation were being implemented support a finding that plaintiffs have a likelihood of success on their due process claim. First, although parents and children may lawfully be separated when the parent is placed in criminal custody, the same general rule does not apply when a parent and a child present together lawfully at a port of entry seeking asylum. In case of Miss L. In that situation, the parent has committed no crime, and absent a finding, the parent is unfit or presents a danger to the child. It is unclear why separation of Miss L or similarly situated class members would be necessary. Here, many of the family separations have been the result of an executive branch zero tolerance policy, but the ref record also reflects the practice of family separation was occurring before the zero tolerance policy was announced and that the practice has resulted in the casual, if not delib deliberate, separation of families that lawfully present at the port of entry, not just those who cross into the country illegally. Miss L is an example of the family separation practice expanding beyond its lawful reach and she is not alone. Declarations from parents attesting to separation at the border after lawfully presenting at the port of entry and requesting asylum. Listing parents who were separated from the children after presenting at ports of entry. It's basically saying, basically, uh, that the folks that are seeking asylum can't be treated in that fashion, which a lot of them are, and are thus being treated in that fashion. As set out in the court's prior order, asylum seekers like Miss L and many other class members may be fleeing persecution and are entitled to careful consideration by the government officials, particularly so if they have a credible fear of persecution. We are a country of laws and of compassion. We have plenty stated our intent to treat refugees with an ordered process and benevolence by codifying principles of asylum. See, e.g., the Refugee Act, PL 96 through 212, comma 94, stat 102, 1980. The government's treatment of Miss L and other similarly situated class members does not meet the standard, and it is unlikely to pass constitutional muster. Second, the practice of separating these families was implemented without any effective system or procedure for, one, tracking the children after they are separated from their parents, two, enabling communication between the parents and their children after separation, and three, reuniting the parents and the children after the parents are returned to the immigration custody following the completion of their criminal sentence. This is a startling reality. The government readily keeps track of personal property of detainees in criminal and immigration proceedings. Money, important documents, and automobiles, to name a few, are routinely cataloged, stored, tracked, and produced upon a detainee's release at all levels, state and federal, citizen and alien. Yet the government has no system in place to keep track of, provide effective communication with, and promptly produce alien children. The unfortunate reality is that under the present system, migrant children are not accounted for with the same efficiency and accuracy as property. 
<coughs> excuse me, certainly that cannot satisfy the requirements of due process. See Santusky versus Kramer, 455 U.S., 745 comma 758-59, 1982. Quoting Lassiter versus Department of Social Services of Durham County, North Carolina, 452 U.S., 18 comma 1981. Stating it is plain beyond the need of need for multiple citation that a parent that a natural parent's desire for and right to the companionship care custody management of his or her, her children is an interest far more precious than any property right the lack of effective methods for communication between parents and children who have been separated also have a profoundly negative effect on the parents' criminal and immigration proceedings, as well as the children's immigration proceedings. See United States versus Dominguez Portillo, number EP 17 MJ 4409 MAT, comma 218 WL 315759, comma at asterisk 1 2 in commas W D text January fifteenth January fifth, twenty eighteen, explaining that criminally charged defendants had not received any paperwork or information concerning the whereabouts or well being of their children. In effect, these parents have been left in a vacuum without knowledge of the well being and location of their children, to say nothing of the immigration proceedings in which those minor children find themselves. This situation may result in a number of different scenarios, all of which are negative, some profoundly so. For example, if parent and child are asserting or intending to assert an asylum claim, that child may be navigating those legal waters without the benefit of communication with and assistance from her parent. That defendant, too, must make a decision on his criminal case with total uncertainty about this issue. ID. Furthermore, a defendant facing certain deportation would, would be unlikely to know whether he might be deported before, simultaneous to, or after their child, or whether they would have the opportunity to even discuss their deportations. Indeed, some parents have already been deported without their children who remain in government facilities in the United States. The absence of established procedures for dealing with families that have been separated at the border and the effects of the void on the families involved is borne out in the cases of plaintiffs here. Miss L was separated from her child when immigration officials claimed they could not verify she was SS's mother and detained her for expedited removal proceedings. That rendered SS unaccompanied under the TVPRA and subject to immediate transfer or ORR, which accepted responsibility for SS. There was no further communication between the agencies, ICE or ORR science. The filing of the present lawsuit prompted release and reunification of Miss L and her daughter, a process that took close to five months in court involvement. 
Missy completed her criminal sentence in 25 days, but it took nearly eight months to be reunited with her son. She too had to file a suit to regain custody of her son from ORR. These situations confirm that the government has already stated what the government has already stated. It is not affirm affirmatively reunited parents like plaintiffs and their fellow class members for the purposes other than removal. Outside of deportation, the onus is on the parents who, for the most part, are themselves in either criminal or immigration proceedings to contact ORR or otherwise search for their children and make application for reunification under the TVPRA. However, this reunification procedure was not designed to deal with the present circumstances. Rather, ORR's reunification process was designed to address the situation of children who come to the border or are apprehended outside the company of a parent or legal guardian, placing the burden on the parents to find a request for reunification with their children under the circumstances presented here is backwards. When children are separated from their parents, under these circumstances, the government has an affirmative obligation to track and promptly reunify these family members. This practice of separating class members from their minor children and failing to reunify class members with those children without any showing the parent is unfit or presents a danger to the child is sufficient to find the plaintiffs have a likelihood of success on their due process claim. When combined with the manner in which that practice is being implemented, e.g., the lack of any effective procedures or protocols for notifying the parents about their children's whereabouts or ensuring communication between the parents and children, and the use of the children as tools in the parents' criminal and immigration proceedings, a finding of likelihood of success is assured. A practice of this sort implemented in this way is likely to be so egregious, so outrageous, that it may fairly be said to shock the contemporary conscience. Interferes with rights implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. And is so brutal and offensive that it does not comport with the traditional ideas of fair play and decency. For all of these reasons, the court finds there is a likelihood of success on the plaintiff's due process claim. B. Irreparable injury. Turning to the next factor, plaintiffs must show they are likely to suffer irreparable harm in the absence of preliminary relief. It is well established that the Deprivation of constitutional rights unquestionably constitutes irreparable injury. As explained, plaintiffs have demonstrated the likelihood of deprivation of their constitutional rights and thus have satisfied this factor. The injury in this case, however, deserves special mention. That injury is the separation of a parent from his or her child, which the Ninth Circuit has repeatedly found constitutes irreparable harm. Identifying separated families as irreparable harm. Furthermore, the record in this case reflects that the separations at issue have been agonizing for the parents who have endured them. 
One of those parents, Mr. Yu, an asylum seeker from Kyrgyzstan, submitted a declaration in this case in which he stated that after he was told he was going to be separated from his son, he felt as though he was having a heart attack. Another asylum seeking parent from El Salvador, who was separated from her two sons, writes, The separation from my sons has been incredibly hard because... I have never been away from them before. I do not want my children to think that I have abandoned them. My children are so attached to me. One of my children used to sleep in a bed with me every night while my other child slept in his own bed in the same room. It hurts me to think how anxious and distressed they must be without me. And another asylum-seeking parent from Honduras described having to place her crying 18-month-old son in a car seat in a government vehicle not being able to comfort him and her crying as the officers took her son away there has even been a report that one father committed suicide in custody after being separated from his wife and three-year-old child the parents however are not the only ones suffering from the separations one of the mc amici in this case, Children Defense Fund states, there is ample evidence that separating children from their mothers and fathers leads to serious negative consequences to the child's health and development. Forced separations dif- disrupts the parent's-child relationship and puts the children at increased risk for both physical and mental illness. And the psychological distress, anxiety, and depression associated with the separation from a parent would follow the children well after the immediate period of separation, even after eventual reunification with the parent or other family. Other evidence before the court reflects that the separating children from parents is highly destabilizing, traumatic experience that has long-term consequences on the child's well-being, safety, and development. That evidence reflects separation from family leaves children more vulnerable to exploitation and abuse, no matter what the care setting. In addition, traumatic separation from parents creates toxic stress in children and adolescents that can profoundly, profoundly impact their development. Strong scientific evidence shows that the toxic stress disrupts the development of brain architecture and other organ systems and increases the risk of stress-related disease and cognitive impairment well into adult years. Studies have shown that children who experience such traumatic events can suffer from symptoms of anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder, have poorer behavioral and educational outcomes, and experience higher rates of poverty and food insecurity. And Martin Guggenheim and Fiorello LaGuardia, professor of clinical law at New York University School of Law and founding member of the Center for Family Representation states, children at risk of suffering great emotional harm when they are removed from their loved ones. And children who have traveled from afar and made their way to this country to seek asylum are especially at risk of suffering irreversible psychological harm when arrested from the custody of the parent or caregiver with whom they've traveled to the United States. All of this evidence combined with the constitutional violation alleged here conclusively shows that the plaintiffs and class members are likely to suffer irreparable injury 
if the preliminary injunction does not issue. C. Balance of equities. Turning to the next factor, to obtain the preliminary injunction, a plaintiff must also demonstrate that the balance of equities tips in his favor. As with irreparable injury, when a plaintiff establishes a likelihood of defendant, a likelihood that defendant's policy violates the United States Constitution, plaintiffs have also established that both the public interest and the balance of equities favor a preliminary injunction. Plaintiffs here assert the balance of equities weighs in favor of an injunction, and and in this case, specifically plaintiffs argue defendants would not suffer any hardship if the preliminary injunction is issued because of the government's cannot suffer harm from an injunction that merely ends an unlawful practice. Stating balance of equities favors preventing the violation of a party's constitutional rights. When the absence of harm to the government is weighed against the harms to the plaintiffs set out above. Plaintiffs argue this factor weighs in their favor. The court agrees. The primary harm defendants assert here is the possibility that the injunction would have a negative impact on the ability to enforce the criminal and immigration laws. However, the injunction here preventing the separation of parents from their children and ordering the reunification of parents and children that have been separated would do nothing of the sort. The government would remain free to enforce its criminal and immigration laws and to exercise its discretion its discretion in matters of release and detention consistent with the law stating the prudentials considerations preclude interference with the attorney general's exercise of discretion in selecting the detention facilities facilities where the aliens are to be detained it would just have to do so in in a way that preserves the class members' constitutional rights to family association and integrity. While ICE is entitled to carry out its duty to enforce the mandates of Congress, it must do so in a manner consistent with our constitutional values. That this factor also weighs in favor of issuing the injunction. D. Public interest. The final factor for considering is for consideration is the public interest. When, as here, the impact of the injunction reaches beyond the parties carrying with it a potential for public consequences, the public interest will be relevant to the to whether the district court grants a preliminary injunction. To obtain the requested relief, plaintiffs must demonstrate that the public interest favors granting the injunction in light of its likely consequences, i.e. consequences that are not too remote, insubstantial, or speculative and are supported by evidence. Generally, public interest concerns are impact implicated when a constitutional right has been violated. Because all citizens have a stake in, the uphold, in upholding the Constitution, this case involves two important public interests, the interests of enforcing the country's criminal and immigration laws and the constitutional liberty interest of parents in the care, custody, and control of their children which is perhaps the oldest of the fundamental liberty interests recognized by the Supreme Court in a case named Truxell versus Granville. That was in 2000. Both of these interests are valid and important, and both can be served by the issuance 
of an injunction in this case. As stated, the public's interest in enforcing the criminal and immigration laws of this country would be ineffective by issuance of the requested injunction. The executive branch is free to prosecute illegal border crossers and institute immigration proceedings against aliens and would remain free to do so if an injunction were issued. Plaintiffs do not seek to enjoin the executive branch from carrying out its duties in that regard. What plaintiffs do seek, by the way, of the requested injunction is to uphold their rights to family integrity and association while the immigration proceedings are underway. This right, specifically the relationship between the parent and child, is constitutionally protected. Case Quinn Quilloin v. Walcott, 1978, and well-established Rosenbaum v. Washoe City. And that's Ninth Circuit, Ninth Circuit Court, 2011. The public interest in upholding and protecting the right in the circumstances presented here would be served by issuance of the requested injunctions. It is clear that it would not be equitable or in the public interest to allow the state to violate the requirements of federal law, especially when there are no adequate remedies available. Accordingly, this factor too weighs in favor of issuing the injunction. Three, conclusion. The unfolding events, the zero tolerance policy, the executive order, the DHS fact sheet serve to corroborate plaintiff's allegations. The facts set forth before the court portray reactive governance, responses to address a chaotic circumstance of the government's own making. They belie measured and ordered governance which is central to the concept of due process enshrined in our constitution this is particularly so in the treatment of migrants many of whom are asylum seekers with and small children the extraordinary remedy of class-wide preliminary injunction is warranted based on the evidence before the court for the reasons set out above the court hereby grants plaintiffs motions for class-wide preliminary injunction and fines and orders as follows one defendants and their officers agents servants employees attorneys and all those who are in active concert or participation with them are preliminarily enjoined from detaining class members of DHS custody without and apart from their minor children absent a determination that the parent is unfit or presents a danger to the child unless the parent affirmatively knowingly and voluntarily declines to be reunited with the child in DHS custody. Two, if defendants choose to release class members from DHS custody, defendants and their officers, agents, servants, employees, attorneys, and all those who are in active concert or participation with them are preliminarily, preliminarily enjoined from continuing to detain the minor children of the class members and must release the minor children to the custody of the class member unless there is a determination that the parent is unfit or presents a danger to the child or the parent affirmatively knowingly and voluntarily declines to be reunited with the child three unless there is a determination that the parent is unfit or presents a danger to the child the parent affirmatively knowingly and voluntarily voluntarily declines to be reunited with the child a. 
Defendants must reunify all class members with their minor children who are under the age of five within 14 days of the entry of this order. And B, defendants must reunify all class members with the minor children age of five and f five and over and over within 30 days of the entry of this order. Four, defendants must immediately take all steps necessary to facilitate regular communication between class members and their children who remain in the ORR custody or ORR foster care or DHS custody. Within 10 days, defendants must provide parents telephonic contact with their children if the parent is not already in contact with his or her child. Five, defendants must immediately take all steps necessary to facilitate regular communication communication between and among all executive agencies responsible for the custody, detention, or shelter of class members and the custody and care of their children, including at least ICE, CBP, BOP, or, and ORR regarding the location and well-being of the class members' children. Six, defendants and their officers, agents, servants, employees, attorneys, and all those who are in an active concert, who are in active concert or participation with them are preliminarily enjoyed from removing any class members without their child unless a class member affirmatively, knowingly, and voluntarily declines to be reunited with their child prior to the class member's deportation. Or there is a determination that the parent isn't fit or presents a danger to the child. Seven and final. This court retains jurisdiction to entertain such further proceedings and to enter such further orders as may be necessary or appropriate to implement and enforce provisions of this order and preliminary injunction. A status conference will be held on July 6th, 2018 at 12 noon to discuss all necessary matters a notice of teleconference information sheet will be provided in a separate order it is so ordered dated june 26 2018 and signed by the honorable dana m sabra united states district judge good night everybody have a good rest of the week and check out this tune don't forget to hit us up on itunes with a review I'm not pandering just reading raw how it's been, and uh, hopefully there's uh, some light at the end of the tunnel. Not only for the group at hand, but for everybody under the sun. Peace out. Yeah, man.
Sleep at night How can they sleep at night?